Welcome to Clued in Mystery. I'm Sarah. And I'm Brooke. And we both love mystery. Hi, Brooke. Hi, Sarah. Happy Friday recording day. I know. Best day of the week. We've said it before. (laughs) And we have a really special one today. Yes, we've got Patricia Meredith joining us today. Hello. (laughs) Hi, Patricia. Hi. I'm going to introduce you really quickly. Patricia Meredith is an author of historical and cozy mysteries. When she's not writing, she's playing board games with her husband, creating imaginary worlds with her two children, or out in the garden reading a good book with a cup of tea. She currently lives just outside Colorado Springs. Patricia's first series, The Spokane Clock Tower Mysteries, is the product of uncovering fascinating local history circa 1901, making it the first historical mystery series set in Spokane, Washington. Her second series, about Anna Catherine Green, is the first and only historical fiction featuring the mother of detection fiction. Her mysteries are clean, cozy reads, known for their quirky yet believable characters, backed by extensive research. Patricia's first book of poetry, Happenings, is available in ebook format, as well as her palindrome mystery, inspired by Agatha Christie's real-life disappearance, entitled Murder for a Jar of Red Rum. Once again, welcome, Patricia. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited about this. We are too. So share with our listeners kind of the premise behind your series that is based on a character that you um, drew from Anna Catherine Green. Yeah, so that's uh, the first book in a new series. Um, So the first book is called A Deed of Dreadful Note. And this will be a series of mysteries where Anna Catherine Green is the lead detective, the amateur detective. Um, But she is a real person from history. She's one of those forgotten females that has been overlooked. She uh, is, is behind almost every trope, cliche, normal aspect of how you would describe a mystery today. Um, And I happened across her and realized that she had written and published um, long before even Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Um, And so when I realized that and that she was the first female author of American detective fiction to really just bring everything together uh, and become, she was the Agatha Christie of her day. And yet nobody knows who she is today. (laughs) Um, most people have never heard of her except for you guys. Cause then that's how I found your, <laughs> that's how I found your podcast was I was, I'm always looking for people who are talking about Anna Catherine Green and you were one of the few that had mentioned her. Um, and at the time I was working on my first draft of, of the novel and now it's out there. And so now we can talk about it and, um, and dive into her history a little bit more. I'm, I'm so excited to be, um, reintroducing her to the world. Um, we have so much in common and uh, she just, she has so much to share. So it's been a remarkable journey um, uncovering the history uh, of her life and uh, getting to bring that forward in historical fiction and filling in those crevices and just, yeah, uncovering new things every day. So Patricia, you consider Anna Catherine Green to be your sister from another century. Can you explain why that is? Yes. So when I first uncovered her, I had no idea that we would have so much in common. Um, And I actually ended up doing a whole blog. And when I first started researching her uh, four years ago, um, and then I just uh, rediscovered that list that I had made. And uh, so I made a video about it on my YouTube channel. So if you want to hear the full list, you can check it out there. But uh, 
some of the main things that we have in common. For example, she was 32 when she had her first novel published. So The Leavenworth Case is her first uh, novel. And I was 32 when I had my first short story published, um, which is uh, a short story called uh, Mary Did You Know in Christmas Fiction Off the Beaten Path. Um, and uh, so you know, we both published at the same time. And then I dove deeper and I discovered that her stepmother is Grace Hollister. And Hollister is actually a family name on my father's side. So I might actually be related to her stepmother, which would be really cool. (laughs) Um, We're trying to track that back. I have a family member looking into that. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, so that would be really cool. I wouldn't be directly related to her, but to a very influential woman in her life. Um, She moved a lot as a child. The last time I counted, I have moved like 18 times in my life, uh, including the most recent one (laughs) to Colorado Springs. Um, And she moved at least 10 times that I've tracked so far. Um, And that was just before her first book publication. And then since then, um, after she gets married, um, she and her family move quite a bit. Um, So lots of moving. And then the biggest thing that I, I love having in common with her is that she was also a mother. Um, she ends up getting married. She has three kids um, and continues to publish books. And she manages to publish 36 books um, total, 32 of which are published after she's married and has given birth to her firstborn child. Um, and so the fact that she is a wife and mom, I just really connected with that. Um, in this first book, of course, she's still single. Um, but just finding those similarities, it made it really easy to connect with her. And then um, uncovering, thankfully, because she was so famous when she was publishing, um, she was interviewed quite a bit. So I found a lot of great articles where she talks about her writing process. And we are so similar. It's it's crazy. <laughs> um, and so I was able to incorporate that into the book. And just I feel really connected to her, like through history, because we just we have so many things in common. Her faith is another one. Um, she was a very strong Christian. And that comes through in her writing and how she approaches handling, finding the murderer and everything. And I am also a Christian. Um, And then probably the other like cool thing that it kind of has to do with Anna Catherine Green, but kind of doesn't is the only other published book about her is a biography written by uh, Patricia Maida. So it's another Patricia. So it's just meant to be. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I love all of those things. And I would agree that the other authors that are mothers and wives also, I always feel a connection to because it's so similar to, you know, how we spend our days and how you incorporate some of those really huge responsibilities, but still express your creativity. So I think that's wonderful. Patricia, when did you first discover Anna Catherine Green and, and become such a fan? Yeah. So I was reading an Agatha Christie book, of course, because I'm a mystery author. So I love Agatha Christie. She's my comfort food. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so it was, it would have been 2019. Um, and I was uh, reading The Clocks, which is one of my favorites. Um, it's not in my top 10, but it's definitely one of my favorites. Uh, and there's this whole scene where Hercule Poirot is uh, discussing mystery literature with a character. And he starts listing off some of his favorites and kind of making mention of them. And so it's really Agatha Christie commenting on other mystery authors. Um, And at one point he says, um, the Leavenworth case is admirable. One savors its atmosphere, its studied and deliberate melodrama. Those rich and lavish descriptions of the golden beauty of Eleanor, the moonlight beauty of Mary, 
And there's the maidservant, Hannah, so true to type, and the murderer, an excellent psychological study. And so um, that is just one of many things that he lists there. And um, so I went looking for those books because I'm one of those people who I love getting um, book recommendations from the books that I'm reading. <laughs> so um, Cozy Mysteries, Historical Mysteries, I've inco- incorporated that into my um, Spooky and Clock Tower Mysteries. I have them referencing literature all the time that's published pre-1901. Um, so it's all public domain stuff. Um, and so uh, I went looking for these books and the Leavenworth case. And so then I found um, the Leavenworth case mentioned again in uh, in uh, Agatha Christie's autobiography. Um, it's misspelled, <laughs> but it is mentioned in there um, as uh, part of her story of why she started writing mystery in the first place. And she reads the Leavenworth case and is talking to her sister about it. And basically it's a dare, right? Her sister dares her to write a mystery um, that's as good as the Leavenworth case. And so I was like, okay, obviously I need to read this book because it's behind all sorts of things. And so I look it up and I discover it's written by a woman. And that shocked me because I was like, I didn't think that there was any anything written by a woman um, pre, gosh, I mean, really pre Agatha Christie. It feels like it's really hard to find women who wrote liter- who wrote uh, mysteries. Um, and uh, and I now know that that's absolutely false. <laughs> There's actually <laughs> several women, mm-hmm. um, including Louisa May Alcott. That was one that I stumbled across. Um, she has a novella called The Mysterious Key and What It Opened, um, and she's the author of Little Women, of course. And um, it's it's another really good one. So, um, but yeah, so that's how I found her, and then I just started you know diving down the rabbit hole, Google search. And just discovered so much about her. Um, And then now I'm at the point in my research where it's repeating itself, right? I haven't found a lot of new things on the internet. I'm starting to discover everybody says the same, you know, five facts that are found in the Wikipedia article. Um, And so uh, when I stumbled across some articles um, from that time period, and I'm slowly adding those onto my website so that way everybody else can read them too, um, that was when I was like, okay, I have enough here that I could actually write a book about her writing her first book. Um, And so that's what Adita Dreadful Note is all about, is her writing the Leavenworth case. Um, And uh, my plan is to have her writing different books throughout her life um, and moving forward through history. And so we'll, you know, we'll see her get married. We'll see her have kids. We'll see her meet Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. because they did um, in America, and he was influenced by her greatly. Um, and so it'd be really fun to have those conversations and things and have that all come across. So, And in fact, even Agatha Christie, I don't think she ever met Agatha Christie, but um, uh, Agatha publishes her first novel basically at the end of Anna Catherine Green, like right before she dies. Uh, she dies a couple years later, like eight years later. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so it's... It, I, that will probably be like the denouement of the of the whole series is her passing the torch basically because Agatha's going to take over and sweep everybody away. So, uh, so you mentioned that uh, you have a similar writing style to Anna Catherine Green. Are there any other influences that she has had on on your work? Um, I mean, well, well, writing a book about her. <laughs> yes, um, she. I mean. And, and writing this book was, it was really fun to really get into her head. And um, it's hard sometimes when I'm reading it. it. It's one of those, I wrote the first draft four years ago and then came back to it um, about two years ago um, in, in, and then reworked it into its current form. Um, and when I did that, 
it was interesting to me to read my own work. And I honestly couldn't tell, except where I had marked it, whether Anna Catherine Green had said that or I had said it, um, because it was so similar. Um, and basically, while I was writing it, I was reading the Leavenworth case over and over and over again. I found like a free audiobook version, which is not very good. My husband is recording an audiobook version actually now, um, because he'll do a really good job with the voices and everything. Um, and But I was listening to it, and I was reading it because I just really wanted to make sure that her voice was coming through in this book rather than mine. Um, and thankfully, I've had several people comment that they did find that. They read my Spokane series, and then they read this one, and they were surprised that it was a very different voice. Um, and so I'm glad that that's coming through because I want it to be her voice. It's all first person. That was one of the big changes that I made was it was third person. And then I switched to first person because I just wanted to be it's her story. It's, it's all in her head. Um, and then along the way, in those four years, I had found more articles. And so I was able to incorporate those even more and more of her words. So wherever possible, I have her words coming directly out of her mouth. Um, it's all public domain. It's all pre-1930. Um, you know, 1930. Um, and so uh, those articles, and that, no, the latest article I found is 1923. So yeah, it's definitely um, public domain. And so I was able to put her words back in her mouth, which is so cool um, because then you're reading it and, and hearing actually what she thought about writing and um, what the process was like for her. And then because it's historical fiction, I can breathe a little bit, a little bit more life into it, right. By mm -hmm. changing a few things, bringing some new characters in, but wherever possible, I used actual characters um, from her history. So, um, so yeah, it's, I've really enjoyed her influence on my writing because after writing this book, coming back and working on other projects that I have, um, I think she definitely changed how I write a little bit. Um, she's very poetic, but that was something that we connected over because um, like you read, I have a book of poetry too. And so, and in, in college, I was going to be a poet, a poetess, mm -hmm. just like, <laughs> like Anna. Um, she wanted to be a poet. I, I love her poetry. Her poetry is very similar to mine. Some of hers, her shorter stuff is similar to mine. Just finding those connections, it's like it was just always meant to be that I, I was meant to write this book and connect with her and, and bring her back out because um, we just have so much in common. It's it's a God thing. It's just crazy. <laughs> so it gives, it gives me goosebumps whenever I come mm -hmm. across something and I'm like, oh my goodness, I, I, I could have written that, you know? That's, that's amazing. So, um, yeah. So I love, I love how she's been influencing my writing. That's great. Was it challenging? What challenges did you face when you were trying to bring this historic figure? I mean, you've spoke on it a little bit, but you know, were there any um, specific things that you struggled with in trying to bring this historical figure into a fictional sleuth role? Yes, because it, that's one of the things that I like about writing historical fiction is I like the box it puts me in. <laughs> and because then it's a challenge. It's, um, and that's why I like writing mystery too, is because that's solving the puzzle, right? That's the aspect of Agatha Christie that I love is she's very good at her puzzles. I would argue that Anna Catherine Green is better at her character work. She gets a little bit deeper into her characters than Agatha Christie ever does, which is part of the reason why I like um, Anna Catherine Green. She also fleshes out like her main detective has an arc, whereas like Poirot never has an arc. Um, he doesn't change. He's a, one of those static figures, which is great. You know what you're always going to get with a Poirot, but... Um, uh, with Anna, she tries a couple different detectives, but Detective Grice is definitely her top one. Um, and so trying to incorporate that, um, I guess the biggest challenge was what I decided to do for the outline of the book 
is she is writing the Leavenworth case based on an actual mystery she's, she's trying to solve. And so the biggest challenge was not just rewriting the Leavenworth case, right? I'm not rewriting it, but I am. I'm bringing it forward to modern audiences because if you go back and you read the original Leavenworth case, like it's very good, but it is definitely Victorian literature. There are some things in it that are, it's, it's slower paced, though it's actually very quick for a Victorian novel. <laughs> um, it's, it's not Les Mis, right? She doesn't go off on, on long tangents usually. There's one big section where she does, but, um, but it's, it's, it's actually very fast paced for a Victorian novel, I feel like. So, so, uh, so trying to figure out how to rewrite the Leavenworth case in a way that still was true to her own history. Didn't want to completely change everything. Um, so finding those little tidbits, um, which actually brings to mind the quote that I have in the front of the book. Um, so um, I, uh, this is something Anna Catherine Green says in an article. Um, it's called Why Human Beings Are Interested in Crime. And it's one of the main articles that I love pulling quotes from because it's her talking about why she loves writing mysteries. Um, and she says, I have found that the incidents in books which people pick out as improbable are the very ones which are founded on fact. Truth is stranger than fiction. And I had to put that in the front because that is – that is what this book is, <laughs> is the, the things that like my beta readers would point out and be like, I don't believe that. For example, <laughs> the whole thing starting at, um, so they find the body and immediately you, you have the coroner arrive and they're having the coroner's inquiry right there in the house. Well, that happens in the Leavenworth case. And it was one of the things that I was like, really? Th- you know, that's not how it works anymore. So, but maybe it was back then. So I looked it up and it is, that's how they did it <laughs> was they figured if they bring people in off the street, it's going to be peers because that's who's wandering the street is hopefully people that are probably around the same, you know, uh, in the class system. Uh, so if he, if he dies on fifth Avenue, it's going to be people who are his peers. Um, so they'd go pull random men off the street to come in. They go up and they view the body. Like it's right there. <laughs> they see everything. Um, they have the detective come in and, but the detectives usually not really at this point, they're not, solving the way that like you know sherlock holmes is going to change how detectives solve crime though it's arguable that anna did it first with grace because grace is very methodical in the way that sherlock becomes um but i guess the argument would be that sherlock somehow he reaches more people so he has more of an influence and i think it's because he's written by a man um, so Anna couldn't change the system that she was in, um, because she was a woman in 1878. So, and writing in 1872. Um, but so things like the, the coroner's inquiry, um, you know, realizing that that was real. Those are things that, that several beta readers, right, right up through my arc readers were like, I don't believe that. Right. Cause that's one of the things I asked my beta readers to look for is what do you not believe? Um, and I was like, no, that's actually like right here, right? <laughs> um, or she'd make a statement um, about something or Grice, I would put the words in Grice's mouth um, or in um, uh, Sokol's mouth. Um, and, uh, you know, and they're like, oh, I, I don't believe that. I'm like, okay, she literally says that in an article right here. So, you know, so the incidents that you find improbable, those are, those are based on truth, um, which makes it really fun because um, it's historical fiction. And so you get to fill in those crevices and find those loopholes that are missing from history and flesh it out a little bit more. One of the main things I love about historical fiction, my favorite historical fiction to read, and then my favorite to write that I try to bring through in my books, is bringing history forward to a modern audience, not by pushing our modern ideals on history, 
but actually the opposite, pointing out that nothing has changed. <laughs> There's nothing new under the sun. People are still people, and they might have dressed differently and had slightly different technology, but they're still dealing a lot with the same things, especially turn of the century. They were dealing with very similar um, labor problems with with technology, with the industrial revolution. You know, oh my goodness, AI is going to take over everything, right? Is the problem now? Well, that was their complaint back then was technology is taking jobs from everybody and getting to incorporate that into um, into my books and uh, and hopefully remind people as they're reading it going, oh, so she's a real flesh and blood woman who was dealing with a lot of the things of the time. Um, and so you might pick up a Victorian novel, like you pick up the Leavenworth case and the women are fainting and the, you know, and it's very, you know, ah. <laughs> and um, so that was one of the things that I wanted to approach with my book and have her talk about um, she actually has some very strong female characters in her books. Um, the way she writes females is very different from other Victorian literature that you find at that time. Um, and although they are fainting, you'll find by the end of the book, they are always doing it for a reason. They know very well what they are doing. They're using their femininity and what they have been given in the society that they are currently living in, what they can do with that um, to make their own choices and to move forward. I mean, Anna herself, she doesn't get married until she's, I think she's 38 when, when they actually get married. You know, the fact that she's a single woman pursuing her own career that her, Oh, that was the other thing that people didn't believe was her um, father supporting her in that decision. Um, He didn't push her to get married. And in Victorian novels, you're always seeing the father, Oh, you need to get married. And I think a lot of that is how the same thing you see now where it's commercial fiction. So people write, what they think the world wants to hear, right? Instead of um, what people actually think sometimes. Um, And so in Victorian literature, you go back and you're like, oh, well, the women are all fainting. They're all wearing their corsets too tight. And they're all, um, you know, weak women. Um, And then you go back and you read historical accounts and it's the exact opposite. You, You find proof that that is not true at all. So you cannot base your perception of literature, of, of history, based off of literature, you really need to look at historical accounts instead. Um, and that's what I found with Anna was I was really pleased to go back and find just what a strong female figure she was um, and uh, and be able to incorporate that in the novel and bring that forward. I didn't need to paint her like her characters in her book. And instead I could point out, you know, okay, so if you read my book and then go read the Leavenworth case, I want you to notice these choices that she's making because she's doing it on purpose. So um, yeah, so the historical box, I love the historical box because it, it's a challenge for me. Well, and, and I loved um, in your book all of those pieces of history that you incorporated. And then in your author's note, you know, the explanation mm-hmm. that you provided just to give that, um, to give that context and, and to say, like, actually, this is, this is how it happened. Right. And uh, just imagine if our justice system uh, still operated that way, right? right. Like it would be, <laughs> it would I don't be want very to different. Body. <laughs> it's just funny. I write mystery novels, but I'm, I'm actually very squeamish. Like I can't handle a lot of things, especially like when it's like a video version versus, so like Agatha Christie, right. is a great example. I love Agatha Christie's books, the way they've been remaking some of her books lately is a lot less cozy than the original David mm. Suchet, David Suchet, uh, BBC version, which is he's my Poirot, like hands yeah. down. So mm-hmm. um, I like those versions. The newer versions are a little, ugh, 
I can't handle it. And I'm a mystery author. So, so if you ha- were having dinner with Anna Catherine Green, uh, what do you think you would want to ask her? So, so I was thinking about that. And um, man, I think we would just get along so well. <laughs> we would have a great conversation. Um, I would want to ask her like what her current project is. What's your current idea? How do you get your ideas? Um, which is interesting because um, actually one of the things I came across, uh, so this summer I was able to drive out to Delaware and visit the Winterthur Research Museum out there because they had some original journals from Anna and her family. Um, So I have now held and seen her handwriting, which just makes me want to cry. Um, It was so cool. Well, one of the things that they had was this journal from when they went overseas. So it's a record of what happened every day. I love it. It's so amazing. And it's an outline for a future book. (laughs) I I can have them go overseas and solve a mystery. It'll be amazing. Um, Well, in the back of the book is notes on a mystery idea. And it's just jotted down little ideas. And I don't know which book it is because I haven't read all of her books yet. I'm working my way through them. Um, But I need to figure out like when, you know, look at the, the timeline of the journal and then when... So it's got to be some book that comes out after that, right? And try to match it up so that I can have her be inspired to write this book. It supports my whole premise for writing A Deed of Dreadful Note. No, she really was solving mysteries and witnessing things and taking notes and then putting them into her books, just like I do, just like every mystery author does. Every author does. I mean, you know, we all sit in in coffee shops and listen to conversations and write down <laughs> ideas. Um, or at least we used to be able to do that. So um, <laughs> now it's just surfing the internet and going, oh, that guy's having an odd conversation. Let's watch that. Um, so the fact that like she actually did that. Um, and so I'll be able to incorporate that. But if I think about like what I really want to ask her, it's coming back to my idea for the last book in the series. I want to know what her thoughts were when she watched Sir Arthur Conan Doyle publish Sherlock and become world famous and just eclipse her in a second. What was that like for her? Did, did it bother her? Did she not see it coming? Did she fight against it? Um, I just wonder what those conversations would have been with like her husband, you know, <laughs> oh my gosh, this guy, you know, and he's coming over here and he wants to meet me. What am I going to say to him? You know, <laughs> hi, thanks for stealing my detective and making yours famous and mine is no longer remembered. And, or um, Agatha Christie. And what was that like for her um, to realize that her time in the sun was over? Um, Mm. which is a sad thought, but also I think she honestly would have shrugged and been like, I was made for such a time as this. I had my time and God gave me the words to write at this point in time. And so I wrote them and now we're moving on, you know, Mm. history, history moves forward. I hope I can have the same poise (laughs) someday. (laughs) Because she, she was in her time. She, she was quite popular. She was right. Very popular. She was literally the Agatha Christie of her day. I mean, she was, it, it was articles after articles written about her and, um, you know, her play was, or her, uh, uh, debut novel was immediately made into a play, um, which is equivalent today of, you know, someone coming along and turning your book into a movie or a mm-hmm. TV show. Right. So the fact that it was immediately picked up, um, it did, um, two or three tours, um, her husband played a leading role in it. Um, and it's, and then just seeing how many books she published, she, 36 books. And, um, whenever she would introduce some new idea. So like, um, when she introduces, um, uh, Mrs. Butterworth, M- Miss Butterworth, um, and, uh, she starts solving mysteries. Like that's 
going to go on to inspire Agatha Christie to write Miss Marple. And, um, and then she um, later writes Violet Strange, um, who is a girl solving mysteries. So it's like Nancy Drew, um, which, by the way, I loved your guys's, um, uh, you did a whole podcast on that. Whole episode. <laughs> so if anybody listening wants to hear more about um, girl guide uh, mysteries and stuff, um, uh, these two uncovered some amazing uh, early mysteries that inspired that, that I didn't know. I thought Anna Catherine Green had been first and I was wrong. She, she, <laughs> she was inspired by others as well. So, <laughs> One thing I love hearing about Patricia is that you've kind of been a detective in this, you know, you went and saw the journals and you're tracing it back and you're looking for clues that you may be related. And you're, so I feel like as somebody who loves mysteries, that's probably really fulfilling because you're doing your own detective work along the way. It's true. I hadn't thought about it that way. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It's really exciting. Well, so if we have listeners out there, and as you say, Anna Catherine Green is not on the tip of everyone's tongue anymore, but if somebody out there has not read any of her stories, where would you recommend they start? And kind of in general for some of that early mystery fiction, what tips do you have for for readers? Most people start with the Leavenworth case. But as I said before, if you are not a fan of slow burn Victorian novels, (laughs) um, maybe don't start there. Um, she, but she is, she's got several high points where she just really kicks it out of the park. Um, the Leavenworth case is really good. It is her debut novel and she gets better. Um, but it is what inspired Agatha Christie. It's what inspired my book. It's what, you know, so if, if you want to, and it's very easy to find, it is probably the only Anna Catherine Green that is easy to find. If you walk into Barnes and Noble or anywhere and ask your your independent local bookstore, right? And ask for a book by Anna Catherine Green. If they do a search, the first thing that comes up is the Leavenworth case. Um, And they might have a copy. Um, The Leavenworth case has been reprinted in like Penguin editions and things like that, right? None of her other books have. (laughs) It is very hard to find them. Um, In fact, there are some of them that aren't even in print anymore. Most of them are not in print anymore. so sometimes you can find them as eBooks, you can find them on Gutenberg, um, that kind of thing. Um, but like one of the things I'm hoping to track down is, um, there's another museum in Texas that has first editions of almost all of her books. And so I'm hoping to get down there and actually uncover some of these books that have been lost and, and you can't find them anymore. Um, and maybe even reprinting them myself just so that they're out there because, um, because yeah, they're amazing. Um, so yeah, so Slow burn Victorian original, you know, you read the Leavenworth case. And like I say in my book, there's just, there's so many things that you go back, you read it and you're like, oh my goodness, this is the first time, you know, X, Y, and Z has been done. And um, I mean, Detective Grice himself is just, as soon as you meet him, you're like, oh my gosh, it's Sherlock, but it's nine years before Sherlock. Well, 15 years if you go back to when she started writing it. So she, she comes up with Grice 15 years before Sherlock has hit has hit the, the publication. Um, and, um, I mean, he's, you know, he doesn't look people in the eye. He's, um, uh, very methodical. He, um, people take him for granted and just kind of push him to the side. He's a consulting detective, that kind of thing. Um, and, uh, he ends up, uh, the main character in the Leavenworth case, it, it's told from the point of view of Watson, basically. I mean, that's who he is, um, is he's a lawyer and he ends up helping Grice solve the case, Grice has rheumatism, which is something that um, 
Sherlock ends up getting later in his life. And in fact, Anna Catherine Green and um, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle wrote letters to each other through the newspaper that are Sherlock writing to Grice and Grice writing to Sherlock. <laughs> about the rheumatism specifically and it's basically it's all a marketing ploy it's so brilliantly done because it's like you know well perhaps you know your author should read my newest case I love it yeah and give you a sidekick like mine because to help with the rheumatism and you know all that it's it's so so fun but then if you jump forward a little bit one of my personal favorites is when she introduces Miss Amelia Butterworth um and uh, her first one is uh, That Affair Next Door, um, which was published in 1897. And that's her spinster detective, um, who is, is the precursor for uh, Miss Marple. So if you're a fan of Miss Marple, I would highly recommend you start with that one. Um, she is very witty, very snarky um, for, a, you know, for an 1897 woman, older woman, a woman of a certain age. <laughs> Um, and, uh, you know, and never got married. And, uh, so what she, what Anna does so well with her is it's first person told through her point of view. And so because she's a woman, the way she solves the case and the things that she's noticing all have to do with being a woman. So it's, you know, noticing the hat pin and noticing the style of dress the woman is wearing. So that means she must be, oh, it's last season's gown. So it means, okay, she's hit some hard times or, um, you know, just things like that. She has to, you know, follow to the, um, uh, to the cleaners um, and, uh, and track down, you know, uh, who was cleaning and starching her gown and, and things like that. And so it's just very, woman centric like a, a man could not have solved this grace could not have solved this mystery because um he's not a woman and so uh it's just i love how she incorporated that so well um and it and it becomes very clear that like she's always wanted to write a woman detective which is why i put that in the first one um in my book um adita dreadful no i have her uh, actually her first draft of the leavenworth case she has a female detective um and uh because I, I think she absolutely would have done that if she could have, if she could have gotten away with it. But as we know, um, sometimes debut novels have a hard time seeing the light of day. <laughs> she had no idea it was going to be so famous. And the, I think the reason it was is because of Grace. But so if that still is not your cup of tea, if you love Nancy Drew, if you love, and if you want to read something that she wrote much later, um, so towards the end of her career, so you want to see like, you know, how far she came in her writing. Um, and if you like short stories, um, there's a collection called The Golden Slipper and Other Problems for Violet Strange, and it was published in 1915. And that's the one that's the inspiration for Nancy Drew. Violet Strange is a um, young, like, debutante. Um, she's, you know, in high society. And, um, you know, the way that she's described by the, by the guy who, like, hooks her up with the mysteries and stuff like that. Um, is, is exactly like Nancy Drew. Like basically she can get into places that other people can't um, because she's high society. And um, so, because one of the main problems that detectives of that time and that policemen of that time faced, and you'll read this over and over again in historical fiction, it's nothing new. Um, but, uh, but it is really true to history is that they were considered no one knew what class to put them in. It was a new position having policemen and detectives. And so because of the class distinctions, having this, is he middle class? Is he even lower than middle class? Come into this upper class home and be daring to ask questions and stick his nose into, you know, personal affairs and usually uncovering scandals because that's, you know, 
that was their job. And if there's a murder, it probably has something to do with a scandal. Um, and so uh, a violet strange can get into those situations without being noticed, right? Um, so again, though, it's a female um, detective and, um, and a young woman. And so again, I just think Anna did a really good job of bringing those um, into publication. Uh, there's only that one collection, unfortunately, of Violet Strange. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's a brilliant idea. And I'm glad that other authors took that idea and ran with it. Um, so that we have Nancy Drew and all of those wonderful stories now. So um, so yeah, so there you go. Three, three different, <laughs> depending on what you like to read, <laughs> three different types of Anna Catherine Green you can un- uncover. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. So Patricia, this has been, this has been so great to speak to you. Before we end today, uh, can you tell our listeners where they can find you? Yeah, so I've got a website at uh, patricia-meredith.com, and um, it's kind of a blog. I publish uh, a lot of the history behind my writing, and um, if you sign up for my newsletter right now, you get a free copy of The Leavenworth Case. Um, I published it as an ebook with an introduction by me, so it's me tying it in, telling you a little bit more of the history behind it, and then, of course, tying it into a deed of dreadful note. Um, which I should say, um, you don't have to have read the Leavenworth case to read my book. Um, in fact, I almost recommend that you do it vice versa, that you read my book and then read the Leavenworth case, because then I think you will notice things in the Leavenworth case that you would not notice on a cursory read on your own. Um, and also the end of Deed of Dreadful Note, I, like I said, it, it follows the outline of the Leavenworth case. It is different though. It is I purposely made sure it was different enough and the answer to the who's the murderer and everything is different than the Leavenworth case. So if you read my book first, it won't give away the ending. (laughs) One of those people, which I'm one of those people. I hate spoilers. Um, However, if you read the Leavenworth case first and then read my book, you will notice a lot of lines that are pulled straight out of the Leavenworth case. And you'll notice a lot of what I'm doing a little bit more, right? You'll kind of see peek behind the curtain of, of how I tried to structure the book. Um, like the Leavenworth case and then how she's coming to those ideas and everything. Um, so it's kind of fun to read it either way. I had beta readers who read it either way. Um, I, you know, reached and what was funny was reaching out to people and saying, so I need you to read this Victorian novel first and then you can read my book. (laughs) So specific people I had to ask that who were willing to do that for me. Um, because I wanted to know if someone had read the Leavenworth case, how they would view my book, right? Does it has to work both ways? Um, So uh, yeah, so my website, uh, you can learn a lot more um, about Anna Catherine Green there. Um, I'm trying to collect all of the articles that I used uh, for research on there. And like I said, I'm uncovering more every day. Um, And then I have like a blog that points out all of the quotes that are in A Deed of Dreadful Note. So if you want like an annotated version (laughs) of my book, just print that off and put it next to your book. Um, Because it it points out every time um, I used a quote that was directly from an article um, or from the Leavenworth case or from a poem, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and, uh, it's kind of fun because then you can kind of see where it's all coming together in with that. Um, I also have a YouTube channel, um, which is at P Meredith author. And on there, I do a lot of similar things. So it's a lot of history behind the mysteries. Um, so if you're more of a visual or audio person, um, I would recommend checking that out because again, what I've been showing on there is uh, like things like when I get, went to the Winterthur museum, so you can see her handwriting and you can see, um, the things that I uncovered there. I would kind of recommend not watching that particular one until you've read the book. If you Google Anna Catherine Green, you're going to see who she's going to end up with. So 
just that is, a, that is a spoiler. And I did have some people do that. They were like, oh, yeah. So, you know, halfway through the book, I wanted to know what was real. And so I went and looked her up and it answered a couple things about her life that, you know, I, I probably shouldn't have known going into the book, but that's okay. It's still enjoyable. And then I'm on social media on uh, Instagram and Facebook, mostly Instagram under the same thing. So at P. Meredith Author. I've got um, a new book coming out uh, at Christmas in a new series because I'm nuts and why not? Let's start a third mystery series. <laughs> um, and uh, I'm really excited. It's a fantastical Christmas cozy mystery um, because it follows uh, Sam Shovel, who is a talking snowman who comes to life once a year at the North Pole. And he works with Nick and Nora Claus, um, who are the Santas, the lead Santas at the North Pole. And uh, someone has murdered Mr. O. Tannenbaum, who is the leading Christmas tree salesman. Um, and uh, so he's been found murdered and uh, the lead suspects are the other Santas of the Santa franchise from all across the world. Um, and not to mention all the people who live at the North Pole. So we've got Rudolph and it's got enough Christmas references to choke a reindeer. It's <laughs> so much fun. It's been so much fun. There's Christmas carols, there's Chris, uh, Christmas movies. I mean, yeah, it's been so much fun uh, putting that book together and uh, it just kind of happened. So that'll be coming out this Christmas um, uh, wherever books are sold. Wonderful. That's fantastic, Patricia. Thank you so much for joining us today. We've been looking forward to this for a long time. And just like you, we're really proud and happy to be bringing more awareness um, about Anna Catherine Green to mystery lovers. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you all for listening to Clued in Mystery today. I'm Brooke. And I'm Sarah. And we both love mystery. Clued in Mystery is produced by Brooke Peterson and Sarah M. Stephen. Music is by Shane Ivers at silvermansound.com. Visit us online at cluedinmystery.com or social media at cluedinmystery. If you liked what you heard, please consider subscribing, leaving a review, or telling your friends.